Hey, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with my co-host Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, we talked a bit about the Jake Paul versus Tywon Woodley fight. Not too long, just pretty quick, actually. But we get more into the title, of course, we call it Heavy Lies the Crown, which is what happens when champions lose. And it's not like they're physically broken, but there's something that's mentally off. And, you know, it's obvious with Tyron Woodley, who went on a five-fight winning streak defending his title. And after he lost to Kamaru Usman, he was never really the same fighter. He became super gun-shy, never pulling the trigger. And it's pretty much been the same thing that happened to him when he lost to Jake Paul. He just never really threw his hands. The one time he did, he almost finished the fight. So uh, we talk a little bit about social pressures, you know, also just fear of injury, loss of motivation, a bunch of other things that um, we have seen happen to fighters that we've coached. We also get into some higher level coaching tactics, uh, some that were used by George St. Pierre. Uh, Talk about the soundness of the karate blitz the power balance of the coach-athlete relationship, and the, what we normally attribute as negative emotions like fear and anger. Uh, we actually talk about how those are good things if you know how to channel them. So go ahead and tune into this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout-out to EJJRetreat.com. BJJRetreat.com is, of course, the, my site for hosting retreats. The next one I'm going to be doing is going to be in Las Vegas from November 2nd to the 8th. Uh, For the month of September, we have it marked down at 25% off the registration fees. So, And we have still spots available. If you want to jump in, go ahead and visit bjjretreat.com. It's a really good time that we have out here. You know, from last time, we took the guys hiking, went shooting in the desert, we did some axe throwing, a bunch of other cool stuff, and of course, all the training, which is all recorded and provided afterwards. So it's about 15 hours here at the, at the house, and we do some open mats as well, so you can get some additional training time. And it's also going to fall right before the IBGF Masters Worlds in Vegas, which I believe starts on the 10th or maybe the 9th. So if you were getting ready for that or you were coming to town for that, you might as well just come in a little bit earlier and have a good time, refresh your skills, and uh, enjoy yourself. So go ahead, visit bjjretreat.com to learn more about it and to register. Hey guys, what's going on? David Avalon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another episode of Breaking the Guard. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Awesome, awesome as always. All yeah. good stuff. And you were saying you were just in San Diego? Yeah, San it's Diego a- seminar weekend with the kids. I go to Turkey tomorrow for only four days, all the way over there for only four days. That's rough. Good trip. <laughs> I actually, honestly, man, I love it. I just love being on the plane because it's like quiet. I get to read or sleep or watch something. That's like my, it's me time, you know? I actually really like it. You're comfortable on the plane as never. big as you are? Oh, I was going to say, never. yeah, for me, it's a, I, super You make yourself comfortable, man. Like, you learn, like, the positions you can stay in. Like, I've been getting upgraded a lot recently. I probably won't get on this flight, but I've been, like, yeah. I feel like one out of three flights I get upgraded to business, which is nice. But I, I can make myself comfortable no matter what, man. Like, I... I try not to focus too much on the fact that it sucks and just kind of focus on like, oh, I can do whatever I want now and just relax. And it's, yeah, I'm 6'3", man. Like sometimes the problem is when you get someone that's not like my size or bigger next to me. That's when it sucks. If someone's smaller, it's not too bad. Butt hurts after a while. You got to get up, walk around, stretch a bit. It's normal. For for me, it's like. I'm very broad shouldered, so it always creates a problem. Like if there's yeah. another big person, it's like you gotta be kidding me. Like yeah. it's not gonna work. And yeah, it, it seems like seats keep losing the ability to recline. Yeah, they're, you know? they're reclining less and less. Like I've been going to Reno now like once a month, and like we, there's JetBlue or yeah. I forget which airline. They don't have any business class or anything. So like the coach, like the recline's like this, 
It's like an insult. It's yeah. not even a recline. It's like I think some I, of them don't incline at all anymore. Yeah, it feels like it's my spirit well, that doesn't yeah. incline as well. It gets nothing. Yeah. yeah. And I say, like, Jesus, come on. Fortunately, it's only an hour flight, so it's not too big a deal. Yeah, for the short ones, I don't mind. Like yeah. the long ones, you got to get comfortable. Like I have like a herniated disc on my neck, so I sleep it on a certain on my right mm-hmm. side is almost impossible. Like I mean, I should be in a lot of pain if I do sleep on my right side. It's better that I don't. Yeah. I'm glad the pain wakes me up. Um. So I have to be leaning on my left. It's the only way. I can I can take a nap, but good stuff, man. Um, what else is going on? What do we have this week? We had Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley. <laughs> Do you watch that or no? No, I didn't. I, I heard it was um, a lot of people saying that it was a fix. I have no idea why they would say that, but uh, no. I, I from what I read, they were saying that Tyron does what he does. Yeah. He's he done lately, which he just hangs back. He's too like gun shy. He doesn't pull the trigger. Yeah. The one time I guess he did pull the trigger. Dropped he, him, yeah. Well, he didn't drop him, but he put him on the ropes. Yeah. It looked like the ropes kept him up, and he was able to come back. But the question is, like, why don't you just keep going, you know? Yeah. It's weird that, that uh, I was telling my girlfriend that it's like um, something broke mentally. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not sure what broke him, but, like, he's never been the same. He used to be a killer, man. I remember. I cornered uh, Jay Huron when he fought Tyrone Woodley. Man, it was a quick, like, it's like fast knockout. So fast. Yeah, so fast, Dave. So explosive, you know. Oh yeah, you got um, monster right hand. You know? Yeah, the, the thing is, like these these guys, when you when you climb a mountain, and you see, you know, you look at a, you get a three sixty view of that mountain. It's not as beautiful as you thought it was going to be when you were climbing it. I think that's what happens. All it's very, I it's I think it, who, I don't know who said this, but it's so true. It's easier to get the title than it is to keep it. Oh yeah, and that's a thousand percent. I, I can even though I've never been a UFC champion, I can. I can know enough about competition people to, to, to understand this. Like the pressure alone, right? The the the, the motivation's gotta get harder because now you got all the comfort that you were striving for. Right? All this money thrown at you and all this temptation. It's easy to get sidetracked. That's why a lot of fighters can't handle Vegas. They'll come stay for maybe six months, a year and they leave. Like someone with good sense in their family or someone they're like the wife maybe just pulls them out. Like you can't be because Vegas just sucks people away from that, right? I'm not saying this is the case, but yeah. it's easy for you to lose motivation, get distracted, not have that same hunger, you know? Um, again, I'm not saying this is Tyrone Woodley in any way, but like a lot of guys get knocked out, and then what happens is you see that something changes. They lose that kill instinct. They thought that they were invincible, and that's why they were killers. And once they realize they're not, like something happens, and they go, they become a little hesitant. And I see this on a lot of guys. Something happens where the the last quarter of their career, maybe the last third of their career, where they go, they're just, they lose that killer instinct that made them great, right? Yeah. They're just, they're watching out for their brain health. They're watching out for, they're, they're thinking of other things, you know? They're less reckless. And reckless is seen as irresponsible. I think there's something to be said about being reckless in a fight. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. Like, I always tell fighters, like, first you fight with your mind, your brain, and then when that's not working, there's a time to fight with your heart, yeah, with your emotion. And sometimes that right there is lost in a lot of people because they don't have that anymore at a later stage of their career. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. You know, coming up, uh, I was never really a technician. Like it's funny because now I see myself more as a technician. But yeah. when I was competing, I was a heart guy. I was gonna grind you out. You yeah. Know? So. I know people like I, I was first exposed to this, you know, dichotomy with wrestling because there were some guys who are very technical wrestlers, but yeah. they didn't have heart. If they weren't able to tech you yeah. or, or pin you, if you drag them into the later rounds, they would break. And then, yeah. like I know my brother and I, we were always catching up at the end, and we would end up overtaking people just by grinding them. You know, so like it's just like what you're saying. If you don't have the combination of both the mindset and the heart. The guy with heart is going to beat you when the time, yeah. if, if given enough time, yeah. you know what I mean? Especially like when you're looking at UFC fights, which are pretty long, if you're, especially if you're doing title fight, 25 minute round, yeah. you're inevitably going to get into heart, right? Yeah. There's no way you're going to get fight that long without using heart. Yeah. You know, so like to me, to be a champion, it's almost impossible not to have heart in there. A thousand percent, man. And, and, and I, I wish there were an easy answer to this, but because I've given this a lot of thought, it's something I, I am fascinated by. But I can you can almost tell when someone still has it. So like you, when they're training, you can almost tell. Like I've been around like, if I came long enough, like you know, you get that 
the kid that's coming up and you just look at him and like, oh, he's got something there. And there are people just like, they're playing by the book and there are people that have this like old other motivation. It's like this huge drive behind them, right? And at some point you can see them, something changes and they lose that. Normally, my experience, jujitsu and MMA, it's fame. It actually has the beginning of the end for a lot. Most of them, not all of them. Yeah. Very few of them can like have that amount of recognition and money and be unscathed by it and not be changed by it. You know, like think about it. It takes like a lot, an enormous amount of maturity, responsibility, and even will not to be affected by power, money, fame. Like how would you not? Like you're human. Of course it's going to change who you are. And I think a lot, with a lot of people, it's the beginning of the end. And, and, I, and I see this when people get a little glimpse, and I've seen this so many times, man. They get a little glimpse of it and they think they made it, and then they change. And that's the beginning of the end for them because they changed. They were doing good, and then they when they start getting that, like they start getting like a feel for it, like oh I'm right there, I'm getting close to the crown, and that's when they fall because they start like getting the taste of all the other perks that come along with it, and they don't have the discipline to stick to the recipe, you know. Like there's a winning recipe that people have up to a certain point in their career, and then they they want to change it for some reason. Yeah. Like the classical example is like the guy who switches boxing coach or the title fight. Like you, how many times have you seen that movie? Yeah. But it's, there's just something to be said about that. Like, it's, it's sort of true. Like, you've got a winning recipe, and all of a sudden, like, oh, you've got to change things. And, and I think that, they, they, the, 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 that they're so hungry for that finish line. You know, it's almost like making an analogy, drawing an analogy with, with, with you know, jiu-jitsu. It's like when you see the back, and instead of saying, okay, one hook, seatbelt, yeah. second hook, they kind of jump on the rear naked and fall overboard. Like every white belt they makes this mistake like every day. They get so excited about being close to that finish line, right? Uh, I think that's one of the, that's a big one, man. I think people just can't handle show business in general. It's just too much too soon. Especially some of these kids are like, what, 22, 23? Yeah. You know, brain's not even fully developed at that age. You know, you know this. Right? It's a brain's like not fully mature up to like your mid-20s. So you get these guys that have like the world thrown at them when they're like 22, 23, like John Jones. Well, so many of them. Yeah. Right. It's just a lot, man. And if you don't have the right people around you to keep you in check, dude, you go off the rails very quickly. Yeah, I, that's definitely a, a factor for sure. And I think what you had touched on earlier, also, just the when if they do lose in a bad way, like getting knocked out or something, some people get broken by that. And I think that is also very difficult to get by. Especially once you've reached the top, because fighting with heart means you're sacrificing health, right? And potentially life, yeah. you know? So once you've already got to the top, I think some people might not be as incentivized yeah. to give up that health yeah. anymore, right? Because like, man, I know how hard it is to get here and how much I can lose if something goes wrong. Yeah. And I'm already, I've already got the respect that I wanted, yeah. you know? So like, why do I need to keep putting myself out there? And usually, I think as well, the guys who are most, well, I think it's starting to change a little bit, but most of the champions from the older times were like 30s. You're kind of at that point where your athleticism is starting to fade a little bit. Yeah. You probably have a family going at this yeah. point. Yeah. You know, family's so, a big one. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, priorities are shifting. You have kids. It's not about you anymore. Now it's about the kids. Like, what good to you are your kids if you're brain dead? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, not much, you know? So... I think that also plays a role in it. But I've seen guys, like you said as well, that are like stone cold killers. They suffer one hard loss and then they're like a shell of their former self. Something changes, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, uh, man, like, I don't so, know how to uh, get that back to you, you know? And we made this point before, but like a lot, a lot of it is your social life. A lot of what's going on in your personal life. Like that, that's a big one. And I've seen that too. Like if, if that thing isn't in tune with what you're doing, Right, if everything, if the machine isn't working together, if it's not adjusted, man, it's it's easy. It's easy with the motivation. Again, like you, you get to the top of the mountain and you've seen it, like you have all that, right? I think it was Anthony Pettis. He said that once he was a champion, he preferred the moment right before he was a champion because mm. he had all the same perks. He made pretty much the same money or something like he that. Had but the like, yeah, but like he didn't have the responsibilities of being a champion, like get on a plane, like press conference, all the eyes are on you all the time. And I think when he lost a belt, it was like this. It got it was you know that when he lost a belt, that's when he was better. That's like that was the best moment of his career because he didn't have the pressure, not the spotlight wasn't on him all the time. He was making the same money. He still enjoyed life. He still had respect from you know friends, family, fans, whatever. But it, it was that 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 pressure to be that guy all the time just wasn't there anymore. 
And I think it was like a better moment for him. Like, which I, I can I can really, I can understand that. Like, it makes a lot of sense. No, I mean, you can hear yeah. it from guys like GSP. Like, if you hear him talk, like, it's interesting. Like, he is like an interesting character in that he's very paranoid, but he's also, he admits he's very scared and he's yeah. worried about losing. He's worried about this. And he has all this anxiety. But he managed to keep it together for so yeah. long, you know? And what was interesting about his story was he did have that horrific loss, right? He got floored by Matt Serra and yeah. then he was able to come back and win and then yeah. never lose again, right? A lot he of, never lost after that, huh? No, but he got a lot of close calls. Some, I remember like Carlos Condit threw that. It was one of the yeah. most beautiful kicks I've ever seen. Like he rolled over that left hook. Yeah. And on his, and I just thought it was over. And on his way out of the roll, he threw a head kick. Yeah. That, that would have been one of the best knockouts in the history of the UFC. Not to mention it was GSP. And I remember the Matt Serra knockout too. Um, I love Matt Serra, but I just think GSP is an overall better fighter. I think yes. it's fair to say, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, that was, yeah. I mean, before that was BJ. He had a loss to BJ. That was it, right? Didn't have to be yeah. any losses. GSP, I don't think about it. No, no, no. Like once he, he lost one to BJ, didn't he? Was did it, he? it was, it was a 2-0. He fought BJ twice. I know that I think much. He, no, he beat him both times. He beat him both times. He beat him both times. Okay, that was it. I thought it there was, was one that was closer. Yes, I think that's what I had in mind. Some people thought BJ had won. I think it was a close fight. Yeah, right? yeah, it was a closer fight. But then the, the second time, he, he cleaned yeah, him up yeah, pretty yeah. well. And that was the thing that uh, I think we talked about in the podcast. Maybe we didn't. That he actually had a coach that uh, watched all the video of fighters to and measured their reaction time. And they figured out, this guy said, I've watched all the guys. BJ Penn has the faxes reaction time that's why you weren't landing your jabs but he said bj's recovery is not great physically yeah yeah wise or just even off like he can react very quickly but he doesn't recompose after yeah. the reaction so he's like the thing is you have to do a lot of feints so you have to get him to react so he reacts quickly but then when he's getting when he's recovering getting back into posture from the reaction that's when you're gonna get him yeah. and they follow that plan and they they also realize he fatigues better so the feints had like a multi-purpose strategy to it, which it ended up becoming a much easier fight for him. It was very interesting because this is a, a while back, but he just happened to run into this guy who had studied videos, and he like he, he was like counting the amount of frames it took from someone when an opponent threw a punch to seeing the amount of frames it took for that fight. The reflex, you know, they, yeah. Like, man, that's, that's painstaking work. <laughs> <laughs> that's next level man that's, that's next level that's the, the, the I mean at, at the at the Olympic level at the professional level if you have the funds to do it like in Jiu Jitsu we're all too broke to do anything like that but um, the at the MMA level if you're getting paid millions like you should hire someone to do that like I, I believe that um, I don't know if I told you this or not I, I'm working with a university in Brazil and we're collecting we just started collecting data oh I think I read something about this yeah, yeah so what we're going to do is because no one's ever, believe it or not, no one has ever thought about doing this. I'm like, and I've been saying it for like 10 years, like someone's going to do it, someone's going to do it. It's like, man, no one's going to do it. It's going to be you, Rob. No, I, no, it's not. I'm not, to be frank, I'm not going to do, I'm like, I'm kind of like telling them what to do. I'm sort of guiding, but like yeah. the, the, the most of the heavy lifting is going to be done by them. But the idea is to find out what's actually happening. The inspiration was that movie Moneyball. Yeah. Moneyball, yep. right? Yep. And he revolutionized baseball because like, wait a second, what you think, your fashion is irrelevant. Numbers are all that matter because it's tricky because people believe that there's one thing going on. I remember the longest time, Barry Bolo was the biggest fever. Barry Bolo, Barry Bolo, Barry Bolo. They did turn out to be like 5% of sweeps at the black belt level. But people were obsessing over the 5%, right? So, like, we want to do statistics on, on a number of things, like, and everything from like women's divisions, uh, 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 master's division, you know. So, we're going to go by age, gender, and belts. I think we're going to stick a belt. I think we're just going to do black, but I think we're not going to do the other belts because it's going to be way too much work. Yeah. Uh, but there will be there will be it will be different too. Like if you did if you, if you really wanted to be able to do a thorough, sure. you have to go by belt as well. But then just like now it's your work times, yeah, times five. five you know, probably, so yeah. you got to avoid that. Uh, so we're gonna stick to black belt probably. And right now we're really putting a team of people together to 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 analyze this footage. And, and there's a software they developed the software in this university in Brazil. But basically it's the painstaking work you're talking about. Like Matt, you got to pause it, watch write down what's going on on the software. And at the end, the software just throws all those numbers into the chart. So now we know. And you'd be surprised, man, like the, the most common sweeps and takedowns. Like this, they've done a little bit of work right now. I have some of it I can show you. It varies big time between gender and age. It's not a small difference. It's always going to be 5%. No, it's like polar opposite. Oh, you there are certain takedowns 
that are working consistently in certain divisions, in certain sweeps that are working consistently. And I'm thinking to myself, once I have all this, I almost want to be selfish and just do it for myself <laughs> and myself. Why, why would I give this information away? This is gold. Yeah. Like if you once you have that, I'm like, this is really good information. Because the problem that I have an instructor, you have the same problem. Every instructor on the planet has the same problem. Is that the canon of techniques is too wide. What do you teach? Yeah. You can't teach at all. So there are gyms that only teach one thing. And as a result, they become specialists in that thing. But then they have these huge holes in their game in other departments. Right, so I've always tried to teach a little bit of everything, but as a result, I don't think my guys have anything that they're particularly great at. It's like they're like average at everything. Like, how do you solve that problem? For competition purposes, it makes sense to look at the numbers and go in your division. This is your cannon. This is your the body, the arsenal of techniques that we're going to be focusing on, because statistically, this is what works most consistently. Yeah. No. It, like you said, you you are doing that. That would be great knowledge. Is especially if you wanted to hoard it to yourself. But if you're giving it to the, the world, that's just an amazing service. I might sell it for $999 that much. <laughs> or three easy no payments less. of only. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? No, but I'm actually excited. I mean, this is going to be like two, three-year process. It's not something that's going to happen quickly because we're talking about analyzing like 5,000 matches here. Yeah. It's got to be a big pool of data. Otherwise, it's not going to work, you know? Uh, I mean, the bigger the better. Is it going to be all uh, gi, no gi? That's the other one. See, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we bumped into that problem as I, well. I want to do both. I want to do both. So that's a little, and, and I, it's going to change dramatically too. Yeah, for sure. It's gonna, there's, there's not going to be a lot of ponsio and agis and no gi. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, it's it's a lot of work, man. We're like we're like, oh, we need 20 volunteers. We, need, we might need more like 50. You know, like that's the kind of where we're stuck right now. It's like yeah, getting a group I could of people see together. that it's a lot of. Man, because yeah, if you're not only if you, let's say you just do gi, but then like, well, I guess gi IBJJF rules is pretty standard. Yeah. No gi is where you can throw a monkey wrench because yes. there's so many different rule sets. So, so many different rule sets. Each rule set is going to change the strategy of the athletes and the success rate. It's it's complicated because like for example, like before IBJJF did not allow heel hooks, no gi. Yeah. So it's like, so how do you rank the highest, the best submissions? The the the, the no gi ones would be the heel hooks would have been a, such a small percentage. Because super fights represent what five percent of not even more like two percent of tournaments of yeah. fights out there. Most of them are in the tournament format and they're following IBJF rules. So now that they've legalized heel hooks, that's it. Is, it makes it more um, now it's it's closer to what like let's say ADCC or super fights would be. So it's going to be a lot closer. I don't think there would be a big difference there. But but for example, if you throw like a submission only tournament in there, now you have problems. Yeah, there's no scoring. So. There's no scoring. Like how's and then. And, and then people allow themselves to have their guards pass or swept. They don't care. So is that going to count in the ratio? It's, it, it's very difficult. When we bumped into this problem early on, and I'm like, I might have to exclude submission-only tournaments. It's not because I'm like no, not just considering them. Is that, I mean, it's submissions you can count, I guess. But then you have the overtime, and that creates another problem. Because yeah. the overtime, like, why are you surprised that, that the rear naked choke ratio is through the roof when the guy's starting with a seatbelt and two hooks? Yeah, it shouldn't surprise anyone, right? Yeah, personally, I based off what you're saying, like I would have probably just said, let's just do IBJJF gi no gi. That way, it's like one rule yeah. set, and you get a pretty good idea of you know how that works. And, and I, I we bumped in, we thought about that too. But this is the thing: I though IBJJF and the tournaments that are following IBJJF rules are about like at least, I mean, Naga is similar, like the other tournaments out there. They follow a similar system, right? Well, let's say I think IBJF tournaments worldwide, probably 90% of events in the Jiu-Jitsu world. Right. Right? That's the thing that's fair to say. But if you exclude these other tournaments, you're going to say, oh, that's why, because you're excluding all this, that's why you're not getting those numbers in. But it's it's such a small pool of data, and it's at odds with the majority. It's going to mm-hmm. be hard to find. I mean, you could have, you could add a submissions only, but you couldn't add positioning because you'd never be able to, to insert that into the, the pool of no, data. That's what I mean. The rule set for those... Submission only is too different yeah. to be able to add it and make sense in this yeah. current pool yeah. data. Two different so languages. I, I would think, like, especially if we're just going to start out with this thing, just do IPGDF stuff, and then once that data is cemented, then, oh, you know what? Like, what do they call them in games? Uh, DLCs, right? Like, added content? Yeah. Okay, we'll do, like, sub-onlys, or I'll do something else, you know, like, maybe... Grapper's Quest or Nagas or whatever other tournament sets. But I would start off with that because you said that's the biggest sample size. It's regulated well, so there's consistency. Yeah. 
you know, that's the other thing. Sometimes, like, Nagas or Grappa's Quest refs are not that good, and they're calling things differently. So, like, <laughs> I've seen people giving Neon Belly points on down. Like, wait, there is yeah. no Neon Belly points here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's, no, you're right. Like, we might have to stick to only IBJJF just for, you know, just to make our lives. Because otherwise, you're going to get, get too conflicted. But anyway, that's a that's like a long term project, and the idea is to publish the the information at the end. Yeah, that, I think that's amazing. That would be pretty awesome. That's like, yeah. like you said, that's a gold mine. That's data that like you would really like be cherishing. That's why when I heard the GSP story, I'm like, damn, that's amazing. That's like high level preparation, right? And I, I guess most people don't have that ability to do that. And know? I'll tell you, and this is a piece of like. You know, advice anyone wants to start a business, they want to be in the martial arts world, right? Like, I don't want to have a nine to five, I want to make some money from MMA or Jiu Jitsu. And everyone does the same thing. They either try to fight or they open a gym. Yeah. Right? I'm like, man, like, you got to think outside the box. Like, if someone got really good at this and they had a software and they had like the technology to do it and know how to do it and they specialize in that, and you walked up to like a Jorge Masvidal or a, you know, whoever, like top player, and like, hey, man, this is how much I want a month and I'm going to do all this for you. If I were making a million, two million a fight, and someone offered me that information for my next opponent, yeah, I'd, I'd hire that person in a heartbeat for sure. And I don't make them like do like a some kind of like a non compete. Like you only work for me. I'm, I'm serious. I wouldn't yeah, yeah, want to yeah, yeah, work yeah. for the competition. I'm like, I'm going to put you on a salary, but you only work for me and my guys. Yeah. I, so we were starting the MMA team. Like I had these all these ideas. Like I wanted to do all that. I'm like, I want to. How can we? Like, because that's how they do it at football. They do it at the NBA level. MMA is very amateurish still. Yeah. And I think it has to do with the culture. And we, we, we talked about this before where, like, the culture of MMA is very resistant to change because it is dominated by, like, that alpha male slash, I want to say, like, jock slash knucklehead mentality. Like, it's hard to, like, you, you try to have conversation with a lot of these guys and they don't want to listen. Like, they're very closed-minded when it comes to new information. That's why I'm convinced that MMA evolves slower than jiu-jitsu. Because jiu-jitsu, they are very open to new techniques and new approaches. Everyone's like, oh, that's, and new is always good. MMA guys, they tend to be very, I think that they're more resistant towards change. Like, as a good example here, when I, when I teach seminars, yeah, I have never had more than like 10, 15 people in an MMA seminar. And I've been to some big gyms. Yeah. I've been to big gyms where people like they'd rather hit the back than come to my seminar. Because they're like, I've learned something. I don't need that stuff. I've seen that too. You see, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. It's the culture is completely different. They're very resistant towards like change and like new ideas because like oh, just because the, a lot of times that happens to be the athletic guy, he gets away with a lot. So he thinks he's winning. Therefore, my way is better, and he doesn't see that you're winning because you're athletic. But if you actually use your brains and you actually did things the right way, you do things even better. Whereas because football is owned by an individual, like so the, the let's say the, the football team is owned by you know by you. You can put the hammer down and go like, motherfucker, I'm paying your salary. You're yeah. going to do this, X, Y, and Z. And shut up, right? And everyone, but in MMA, the fighter runs the show. Yeah. And that's the biggest weakness in MMA is the fact that the fighter runs the show. Not the, the coaches don't run the camp. I've seen it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You don't run the camp. It's the fighter who runs the camp. And if you try to tell the fighter what to do, he, he gets angry. Like, not all of them. No. But the successful yeah. ones, listen, like Khabib, like my favorite example, like he has a camp where like I guarantee you his dad told him what to do. Yeah, no, he didn't I, question that. And I think that's also part of his faith that made that easier. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, and he's another guy like talking about being a champ, undefeated for that long. It's a hell of a mental feat to pull that off. Absolutely. But yeah. getting back to your point, yeah, we had talked about this way back, I think. But the the model of coaching, the relationship between the coach, the athlete, and the promotion is completely upside down for yeah. MMA, yeah. right? Like. If you look at other sports like NFL or whatnot, you know, the the coach is on top of the athlete, which is on top of the, the promotion, right? Yep. Whereas in MMA it's the promotions at the top of the ladder, yeah. then it's the athlete and then it's the coach. Yeah. Right. So it's like completely upside down. And as a result, the guy who has the most experience, yep. the most information is the coach. Yeah. Who is treated like you know? He's the bottom beneath. of the pyramid. Yeah, He's the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. It He's doesn't. the guy with all the insights. It's less efficient too. Yeah. I, and I, as a gym owner, you know, gym owner too, you know what I'm talking about. We bump into this problem in the gym as well. You have the hierarchy. I call them overlapping hierarchies. Like you, you, we have this this the, the, the traditional hierarchy that is the one we see in collegiate wrestling and professional teams where the coach is the boss. If you don't like him, you know, there's the door. Yeah. In the gym, they're customers. Yeah. So they're the boss. So you have this like. The coach is the boss, but I'm a customer. So who's the real boss? 
Yeah. Like it's complicated, man. It's not it sounds like a simple problem, but like a, money throws a monkey wrench in all of this when the money is in the hands of the students or in this case the fighter. Yeah. It's it's it, it flips the hierarchy. It's trickier to manage, especially if you're starting off and you don't have that capital and then you're you're conceding to like demands that you don't want to, then you're you're putting yourself in a really bad spot. Like fortunately, like my gym and my brother, we've been in it for twenty years this year. So we're in a position where we fire students sometimes, like if yeah. they're incompatible with the, the program or the values are not aligned. It's nothing personal, it's just it's not gonna work. We're both gonna be unhappy. And it's interesting when that happens because then the student wants to come back in, but it, it's just not gonna work. You know, the values are off, you know? And the way I see it, if the coach is not, if the student starts telling the coach what to do, that's already to me the relationship has been broken, right? Because you no longer trust my ability to instruct you, right? Which means you think you know better than me. At that point, I can't coach you, right? The moment that someone thinks they're better than you, you can't coach them, you know? And it's just going to create a lot of friction. Yeah. I've seen this, like I said, I fired, like UFC fighters, like because it's just like, yeah, it's not working anymore. It, it doesn't work. And it's to the fighter's detriment. That's like what you try to explain to these guys, it's, they, and they can't understand because they think that what they want is what's best for them. Yeah. If I want this, I want you to hold pads for me like this, for example. They think that's what's best for them because that's what they want. But sometimes, like, what's best for them is the opposite of what they want, you know? And then the, I, I think this is, I mean, this has come up before as well, but uh, coaches in, in Vegas is very common. They hold pads for free. Yeah. They hold pads for free. That's like, a, Dave, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, so you got a guy who's making millions of dollars and you're holding pads for him and you don't charge him at all. You know, you know why they do that? So they get that camera time, they get yeah, the interview. Sure, sure. So you get guys that like never done anything, right? And they don't know anything, but they're willing to work for free to get that notoriety. Now, the wife loves that because she saves money, right? The fighter's like, okay, okay, whatever, whatever, you yeah. know? Like, and, but that's hurting him because he's, and I, there's some amazing boxing coaches in Vegas, but they're not going to work for less than $150 an hour. Yeah. And that's like lowballing it. Like some of these coaches are going to charge you a lot more. For sure. But yeah. if you're making millions, man, that little extra 1% you can get from that coach is a difference between winning and losing a five-round fight. Yeah. You know, but a lot of these guys themselves, they're not willing to make that extra investment. So just hold pads with the guy that holds pads. You know, they'll do it for free. Uh-huh. Very common. And for that record, common. like, <laughs> I don't hold pads for anybody. Shoulders. What? Man, it just hurts so bad. Dude. Holding pads? I've done, I've yeah. done this I've, I've very few times in my life. I can feel like over time that would mess you up. Um, I guess you got to have to like learn how to like position your oh, arms. Oh, sure. You got to feed a, into yeah. it. And... So, so it's not doing that to yeah. you because, and even so, there's a lot of impact on the joints. No, dude, holding pads, dude, being a coach is a lot harder than people think. Oh, man. It's brutal. Like, dude, how many times I, I get into sauna with those guys? Yeah. Believe yeah. That? I know. Like, I, I used to hold a lot of pads. Yeah. For my guys and i would do what i call like mma pads which is i would essentially be doing a sparring match but i'm holding pads yeah. so i would shoot in they sprawl i take them down they had to walk up to their feet and it's like one-sided beating pretty much yeah. you know? <laughs> except they're hitting my pads most of the time yeah. rather than my face but like it's hard doing that you know it takes a lot of energy out of you and yeah. especially if you got a heavy weight that can drop man even if you're doing everything right pads extended you're taking here Shoulder is still moving in a little bit, you yeah, know. Yeah, and, 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 you know, like if, if you hold a bad pad like this, then you essentially Americana yourself in yeah. the air, you know, which is like no good either. But yeah, like I see sometimes like guys holding for like I feel bad for the guy holding pads for Francis Nagano, man. Like Jesus Christ, that guy can crack. <laughs> it's gonna be. Brutal. I don't know. It was like a uh, former boxing coach. He said that uh, he was like he was he held pads for Ray Suffle once. He was telling me how like Ray could crack too, man. I'm, he can, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's built alone. He's like, he's just looking like built for punchy stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, like, you need that. Like, okay. that fight between, uh, is it him and Mark Hunt? Yeah, him and Mark Hunt. K1. Two guys that can freaking. It's like, there's, you gotta have lost some brain cells. There. There's no way you get punched in the head that hard and there are no consequences. And man, Hunt got a chin on him, you know? Like, Hunt can take a punch. Yeah. Honestly, I feel awful saying this because it sounds like I'm talking shit. I hope it doesn't sound that way, but I don't think he's a very technical guy. Like Mark Hunt, like he's not, he just hits super hard. 
and yeah. he can take a beating. Yeah. Like I'm not thinking if I if he let me punch him in the face like a like a like a two three as hard as I could. Yeah, you wouldn't. I wouldn't drop him. No. He, and he doesn't have to. He could probably drop me with a jab. Like it sucks, but it's just the reality of the conversation. And I think it's it's part of it has to do with like the the, the density of your the, the the jaw bones and all that, and like a lot of it might be like your neurologically neurologically there might be something where some people are predisposed to take a punch than others like for example like i'll give up vanderlei vanderlei can take a beating and he's like oh he's gonna be all messed up when he's like older he's older now you ever listen he's fine he sounds fine yeah but it doesn't sound like and i've seen other guys have taken less beatings than him that don't sound fine i think there might be something where some people just like recover from neurological damage more than others. I don't know anything about this. Maybe your wife Jamie, or your girl Jamie knows, but yeah. it's. I don't think it's the same. No, no. There's definitely, uh, I think, a genetic component to that as well. Unfortunately, right where some people just can't take a hit as as well. And you see, like in boxing, we don't see like in MMA. You can see people who have relatively weak chins get up to higher levels. You know, because. You can evade, yeah. You know, you can avoid. Yeah, you can go grappling, much. good yeah. wrestling, good jujitsu. You're good, and you won't get that chin tested too often. Whereas in boxing, if you have a weak chin, you're not getting out of the amateur leagues pretty much, right? Like because you're going to be chin checked, and you're going to find out. And if you don't have a good chin, you're not going to make it to the upper echelon. Whereas in MMA, you could get to the upper echelon and have a weak chin, you know, yeah. and. Uh, that's why I think for MMA, though, there's a, a bigger factor in learning head movement. Because, uh, like, there are certain fighters that I've known that they had bad yeah. chins, but they had excellent head movement. Yeah. So they were able to avoid getting hit a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you have a weak chin and you're a slugger, it's, you're not going to last, you know? No. Yeah. I, especially in the heavier divisions, even more so. Yeah. It's going to be more impact at the end. For sure. I, I've always, I've made this, making this case for a long time, but. MMA has been so influenced by boxing and Muay Thai primarily. And that I think that because, like, you know, boxing best hands, Muay Thai best elbows, knees, whatever. So people immediately assumed that those two were not just at the best, but the only martial arts that MMA should be absorbing from as far as striking goes, right? <clears throat> and I always thought, because if you look at a boxing ring, it's a square, right? It's a square. So, and it's relatively small compared to the UFC. Yeah. It's, it's like half the size. Yeah. Meaning there's going to be a lot less room for footwork and a lot more place for, for catching and blocking, right? So footwork and head movement, it's not that they're not important. They become less important because most of your defense is going to be with your hands up. Yeah. Whereas when you open up the space and you make it an octagon slash a circle, mobility is going to become a bigger factor. So you see guys, and it took forever to have been made to do this, like forever. But, like, guys start switching their stances. They have, like, a wider stance now, horse stance. Their hands are down a lot of times, right? They're not keeping their hands up high the whole time because it doesn't make – it almost, like, slows you down to punch from here, too. Your punches are fastest from down here. Yeah. Right? Like, if you got to keep your hands all the way high where you're supposed to, your punches are a lot slower, but this is faster. But it hurts your defense as far as, like, catching punches. But if you got the right footwork and the right head movement, well, that's your first line of defense there, not your hands up. Hands up the last line of the fence. Sure. So you've seen like a lot of guys from, you know, it's a style that people made fun of forever. It was like point karate. That's going to work because there's not a lot of knockout and impact. But when it comes to their angles, their footwork, and their timing, that's where they excel at. I actually think it's a great style for MMA. Once you absorb what, like the hard impact. He's going to need that that KO power. You're going to get that from boxing and Muay Thai. But as far as their footwork and timing, dude, I think they're, I mean, they're, it's the it's the best for MMA because that's all it's all about. It's like hit and run, hit and run, hit yeah. and run. And MMA is like that, man. I I never liked sequences like when boxing coaches for MMA, especially like six, seven oh, punch sequences. Yeah. Yeah. I, you agree, right? It's like hundred percent. It's like, garbage. Yeah. I always go two, three, two, yeah. three, two. I maybe one, two, three. I, even four is too much, if you ask me. Yeah, my brother he has this saying. He's like, even a blind guy, if you hit him once, he's gonna move, right? So like, how are you gonna how are you gonna throw like six punches? He's just gonna stand there. I've right? seen people who feet pass like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Huh, huh, oh, bah, 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 bah. Like, like man, twelve like, punch combos. Yeah. Like I've never seen that happen in a real fight where yeah. two people stood in front of each other and just traded never blows. Happens, that, that's a slugfest, right? Like that's gonna happen. Like yeah, like to me, realistic combos for MMA, two, three hit punches. Yeah. Right? Bah, bah, bah. yeah. And moving out, right? Because that's the other thing. If you're throwing that many punches, takedowns are going to happen pretty soon, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you throw that much, but you become vulnerable to takedowns. Yeah. So I, 
and, and the thing is, like, some coaches, and this happens in jiu-jitsu, so I'm not, like, shitting on striking coaches, yeah. but they're so orthodox, they're unable to see, like, for example, like, jiu-jitsu guys will be like, oh, no, no, do this, do it this way. And then wrestlers went along, no, I just beat you from half guard. I don't want mount. Yeah. Right? And then wrestlers, no, you got mount. Mount is better than half guard. I'm like, yeah, if you're going against a guy who's clueless, but if you go against a guy who's no one's fighting, like, half guard is better for ground and pound, which I agree. I yeah. think it is. Yep. And then, like, wrestlers want to change it. Like, there's so much resistance from jiu-jitsu guys in that regard. With stri- a lot of striking coaches, they have that, like, the, the Thai guy especially, because the Thai is almost, like, it's very orthodox in, in, in Thai. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. The way they do things, it's, like, borderline religious. And and it's just, like, it's almost like you have, you have like, a, a way of doing things, of training, and, and, and everything is done in a certain way, and there's not a lot of flexibility. They don't allow for a lot. It's like, this is what my boxing, my striking coaches would tell me, like, the Dutch, they absorbed what was best from every striking martial art, and they created Dutch boxing, right? Which is a little more eclectic, like it is more versatile. You're gonna find like they incorporate from many different martial arts, but like for example, the Thai guys they stand very tall, yeah, right. Square Which is too. It, it's square, tall, and they they take hits. Like in Thailand, it's almost like oh yeah, hit me. Like no man, no hitting. Like no, never hit me. There's not a lot of evading. There's more like check, 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 moving forward. Like they, and boxing is not so different. They have that, and I think a lot of that, Dave, is a reflex of the ring. The That's ring true. makes it's almost like fighting in in, 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 a, in a phone booth. Like if there's no way you can fight with range, but once you put them in the octagon, man, like why would you not use that range to your favor? And as I don't like to use them as an example because I'm not a big fan, but like Mike Gregor does it. I mean, was doing it for forever. Like that was the first three quarters of his career. That's how he was killing people. Yeah, this blitz. It was yeah. distance. Yeah, it was distance. It was timing. It was angles. And it was he had a horse stance the whole time. Yeah. Uh, no, and like uh, this UFC this past weekend. The guy, what's his name? Like, from Giga. Uh, I think uh, I think he's like Georgian or whatnot. He's a striker, and he knocked out Edson Barbosa. It was a striking yeah. battle. Very yeah. good, very good fight. But I think he has a karate background because he yeah. was going in and out, controlling yeah. range, and he was able to outstrike Barbosa, which is a Huge. crazy yeah. feat. Yeah. And he was faster than Barbosa, which is also crazy, yeah. crazy. Uh, particularly with his feet, he's like, bam, bam, just whipping out kicks, and he was able to control distance really well. Yeah. You know, so he's again, the karate guys do have an advantage in that, and it's a good philosophy. You know, you you get in, you blitz, you score your strike, you get the hell yeah, out of there yeah. before get anything happens. To you. Get out of dodge. Yeah, there's and no... you don't see a lot of striking coaches holding pads in a way that gets them to move after they finish their sequence. Which reminds, like every sequence finishes with a step Circle. left, right, or back. Yeah. Yeah. You got to. But like it's so common, and this is ingrained in your DNA after a while because you've been holding, you know, hitting pads the whole their whole life like that. But you finish the combination, you're still standing right in front of the guy. Now that's something. That may, I mean, I think it makes more common in boxing and Thai boxing, maybe. But I think it's a terrible idea to make. You can't catch punches with those small gloves. That's the other part of yes, it. Yes, yeah, that, that, those gloves are too small to catch. So much harder to catch punches with little gloves. That's why I remember like earlier UFCs. Like, Ortiz, when he was getting beat by Chuck Liddell, yeah. he kept doing the shell. I'm like, this shell doesn't work in MMA. It doesn't work in MMA. It's You're too right. many holes. Yeah. You know, Wait you don't you don't have like giant gloves yeah. that block you. Like those gloves have like a lot of gap. Yeah, this is like one two punches tops. Yeah. You know, and then you got to get the hell out of yeah. there. You know, so I agree with you. Like in our striking coach uh, Eric Castaño was a Tigre, he was a kickboxing yeah. world champion. He was really good with that as far as like always having you move. Like you never were allowed to like. Throw a combination, stay there. Like you have to shift, angle, angle, angle. There's a value to being able to do like a thirty punch combo because you're you're building some conditioning, memory, hand eye coordination, yes. right? Because yeah. usually they're using a lot of slips. That's yeah. good, but like you said, it's a bad pattern if you're just staying yeah. put or you're thinking you can throw that many yeah. punches in the, the sequence. The way I compare that is like the way like a lot of jujitsu guys drill. Or they'll do a move with like a dead body in front of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's some benefit. You're remembering the move. You're burning some calories, you know, like maybe a little cardio here and there. But it's not going to make your passing better when you're like leaning on someone's knees and you're shuffling your feet right and left. Yeah. It's like yeah. everyone's favorite. Like I'm getting good at a guard pass. I'm like, no, you're not. You're working out. It's like jogging. Yeah. But it's, it's like a lot of the stuff that, I mean, in boxing, have that too, like the speed back. I don't think it makes you a better boxer. But it helps with hand eye coordination, conditioning. But it's not like you're never going to throw your hands that way. Yeah, and like you, you know? said, like you, you just tweak it up just a little bit, do the same type of thing, but like two, three punch. Yeah. Like you said, four punches like maximum. And that's level. if you rock the guy. Yeah, four yeah. punches when you hurt him, and yeah. you can go four, five, six. But like if you're exchanging, you're and, and man, it's like one, two, three, one, two out, like never in there for too long, man. 
Um, you know, but again, neither of us are, I mean, probably some striking coach right now listening to us thinking that we're full of shit, but we're both rappers. But, you know, I, I think yeah. I think we've got a point here, man. Like, I really do. I'm surprised that more striking coaches haven't made those adjustments. Just like some grapplers never make those adjustments. Like, just some wrestlers never make that adjustment. Well, the only wrestlers I know that as soon as they learn how to get out of a triangle, they're like, I'm good. They don't, I don't need this jiu-jitsu stuff. I'm like, that's great that you can posture out of a triangle. Congratulations. Yeah. There's like 50 other things you got to learn just from the same position before you can say that I got it. You know, but it's 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 not, again, it's an MMA thing. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult culture to deal with. You know? I, I I like the term they used before. We talked about it a while back. As far as the transitions in MMA, you call it like the in-betweens, I think, yeah. right? Where that's where I feel like you had get the most value out of MMA. Because most people train, uh, like I call them, like, I guess it's like split personalities. Where, like, there's a kickboxer. There's a wrestler, and then there's a jiu-jitsu guy that all live in the same body. But only one of them function at the same time. Yeah. Right? So, like, wow. we're standing up, we're in striking mode. And then we clinch. Okay, now we're wrestling. But if you're a true mixed martial artist, you're always so just one. one. You're just fighting. But most people don't do that because they train at the camp. Like, oh, today's kickboxing day. Okay, everybody kickboxing gloves. Yeah. Now you're training with a different thing. You're not going to be fighting with a kickboxing glove. Yeah. And, you know, you can't do takedowns with kickboxing gloves. You know, it just doesn't work. And, and that, that leads back to the cultural problem I was telling you about. For example, like, you couldn't go to most MMA gyms and have them tr- spar with small gloves because someone's going to get hurt. And the reason they're going to get hurt is that most of it's, it's, I mean, you have to develop a sort of kind of camaraderie and trust yeah. inside a gym that I know that if you catch me in a heel hook, you're not going to blow my knee because yeah. you care about me. The trust. And I trust, like, I've been to so many MMA gyms, like, I honestly feel that half the times I was sparring, people would have hurt me if they could. Like, that's very common. Like, guys will, if they can, they will. Yeah. Because there's no, the camaraderie is not the same. Like, it's it's very, very few gyms actually have that sort of brotherhood because it's such a transient population, too. Sure. You get new yeah. guys coming in every week. You're sparring with people you don't even know. And you spar with them twice and you never see them again. Or you might be fighting them six months from now. Right? Like, I, I mean, to me, that's strange. Like, people used to give, like, oh... The, the, the jiu-jitsu is too political. And I've always, I've been one of those my whole life. Like, I've leaned the other way now. I think that actually having a, a solid, consistent team is to the benefit of the athlete himself. Absolutely. As you develop that camaraderie. If you're bouncing around all the time, it's very difficult to develop that. There's a value to, like, popping in someplace or, like, what we used to do at our gym, bring people over. Yeah. You know, like, whenever I had fight camps, my brother would fly in two or three people and... I get a different look, you know, yeah. ideally someone who's similar to my opponent's frame or strategy. So, okay, yeah. I get used to doing that. But you don't need to see it forever either, right? Like, you need to be able to work with people that you can trust. Yeah. And like you said, that there's there's a relationship there so that you don't have to worry about getting yoked or whatnot yeah. during uh, training. But to the MMA point, like my brother and I, we've been doing MMA training since 98, always with small gloves. Yeah. Don't have issues, people getting knocked out or broken teeth because we, you know no one's actually you know throwing. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's a difference, right? Like when you do MMA sparring, it's not a fight, right? Like we know it's a level well below what our actual competition yeah. is. And for me, grappling is like that. Like my competition grappling is very different than my my though the type of energy I'm bringing in. Like competition grappling, there's a lot more headbutting, there's a lot yeah. more cross facing going on, like. Stuff that you can't do in day-to-day training because you're gonna hurt people, you know. Like, yeah. uh, so like, but you have to understand like your training is like a simulation. It's not the actual thing. Right? Like, it's hard to do the actual thing day in day out without hurting people. Yeah. You know, like I used to neck crank people all the time. Stop doing it because once I had students, I'm like, it's not cool to pop your students' necks all yeah, the time. You're gonna you know lose a student. And, yeah. and nobody wants, and even your training partners, nobody likes tapping to neck cranks. And I'm, I'm really good at them, but it's like yeah. I stopped doing them because like I can only hurt people so many times. And if you hurt them, you're going to lose a training partner too. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. break your, like I tell people, don't break your toys. Yeah, break your toys. Exactly. And you have nobody to play with, you know? Yeah. So it, there's a responsibility there as well. It, it's selfish. It's it's altruistic and selfish at the yeah. same time. You <laughs> yeah. manage to be both at the same time. I, I, I notice a lot of, like, because there's a thing about cross training. Like, this is something that, um, you know, I, I'm two minds. I go back and forth on because on one hand, like, oh, I just want to test myself against other people. And then I go, because I've been leaning against it, maybe because I'm a German owner and that's influencing my psychology. I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm on the different side of the fence now. So maybe that's why I changed. 
But people go like, oh, I need a different feel and I just to test myself. I'm like, oh, that's what competition is for. Yeah. You know, oh, I need new train people to train with. I'm like, are you beating the people at your gym? No, because the only argument could be made is like, if you're smoking everyone in the gym, you're no longer being challenged. And when I say smoking, I mean like, yeah, like you're not even breaking a sweat anymore. Not yeah. like, oh, I only tapped him once in 10 minutes. Like, if you tapped him once in 10 minutes, he's a very good training partner. For you. Yeah. You're tapping him eight times in 10 minutes. Like, okay, you might need an upgrade. That's kind of how I look at things. But I think that a lot of it is not motivated by like, oh, I want to improve. It's motivated by, it's it's a social club. It's just like hanging out. Like, oh, who's, you're trying to you're, you're, see where you sit in the pecking order. So when you visit other gyms, they have these like Sunday open mats, like a very common, like everyone gets together. And I've, and I've seen some of them, like, and I, they don't even train. They barely train. It's just talking, socializing. How this person is scared of that person. It's like a very weird environment where it's supposed to be, oh, it's all about jiu-jitsu, it's no politics. But it, it very quickly turns into, like, a social event. Because I think that's the real motivation is not so much improving. I think the real motivation is just socializing. People like the social life. For the same reason they go to nightclubs. Everyone gets stressed up to go to the nightclub to what? See who's prettier than who, who's going to pick up who, who's, there's, we, we're, we, it's like, high, we're obsessed with that. Man. Like, we're always trying to see where we stand in the world. And I think there's a lot more of that going on. They're like, oh, I really need to improve on myself. That's why I got to go over there. Because, again, there are exceptions. There is that one guy who's smoking everyone in the gym. Yeah. And they, I think that's, like, I, I've left gyms before, Dave. I was like, because no one was, I was beating everyone. Like, I wouldn't have anyone to train with. I had to move. Yeah. And I think that's a good reason. If you're a professional athlete or you want to be, and you got to go for that reason. But like, if, if, if it's something that like you just want to socialize, you might want to rethink what you're really doing. I think yeah. you, you bring a good point as far as like, I guess like what would be your standard as far as like when you should shift teams or whatnot. Because it would kind of be like you're shooting and maybe you're not doing that well. And then, you know what? I'm just going to buy an even more expensive gun. Yeah. Like, how it's about the you gun. Buy... It's the gun. <laughs> it's the gun. Like, maybe it's just you. You know, like, maybe you have to train the fundamentals <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. But if you want so, the shortcut. Yeah. yeah. But like, then if you're like bullseyeing or something like that, oh, maybe I could do even better with it. You know, like, yeah. there's, a, there's a thing to be said that, like, even when we're talking about training and changing things up, right? Like, athlete says, I want to do this. Maybe there's a value to what, you know, athlete's saying, like, to expand his horizon, right? And as a coach, there, there has to be, of course, a conversation. Like, I don't want to pe- give people the wrong impression, like, oh, like the coach is like a dictator and like yeah. everything he says goes. But generally, I, I feel the coach is should be like the final say as far as what goes down, right? Because he's the guy with the most experience if he's a good coach, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm always one that, like I tell my guys, like I'd rather be coached by someone who's actually stepped in the cage before right? because they have that experience. They know how it feels like. It's not saying it's impossible to be a great coach and never fought in your life, right? It's just unusual, right? And, 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 you're, and you're kind of speaking out of turn in the sense that since you've never done the thing yourself, you really don't know how it's like. Again, it's possible that you can be very attuned yeah. or empathetic and understand what it's like, but I would always, like if you have the choice, coach A and B are exactly the same, except A has fought like in 20 fights and B has never stepped in the cage before. I'm more likely to trust Hey, right? Yeah, because he, he's been in there. He can tell you, hey, you know, you, when you're getting the butterflies in your stomach, you know, this is what you need to do. Or like, you know, it, it's, it's something to do with the instruction, too. When this guy tells me A, B, I, I, I don't question him. Like, I know he's done it. I know he's speaking from experience. But someone's never done it before and they're telling me to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I don't want to have that hesitation round two, round three. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be like thinking double, you know, thinking about what you're, what you're saying, if it's truth or not. Like, you want to have someone who you really trust. And this is like, we, you know, the psychology behind that is, is super interesting to me is the level of trust you're going to have in that person is even more important as a technician. Yeah. Because this is what allows so many guys that, in my opinion, don't know shit about fuck. They don't understand fighting. But they're brilliant psychologists. And they're able, there's a the kind of guy that if they started a cult, they would kill it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. they have that personality. Like, I've seen, like, a... I'm not gonna mention. This is one guy in Vegas. He's like a striking coach, and he always like, always like, and he, he and remind me a lot. I'm not gonna mention names here, but like, there's some people that in the community do this. Like, they have this this domineering sort of like body language, right? And they get very good at. They talk to you like this. This is how they talk. To you. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> hey, we might, there's an episode yeah. of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The alpha thing yeah. is to pick your chin up as high yeah. as you can. 
Yeah, it's like you're looking down on them. It's very domineering. And, and, and it, it takes like, I used to like fall for this stuff and then realize I started paying attention to what they were doing. I'm like, oh, it's a trick. It's like smoking mirrors. This guy didn't know the shit about it. Like he's acting like he does, but he doesn't. It was like a light bulb moment when I realized this guy, it's body language. That's all it is. But they, it's, they hold themselves in the tone of voice and how you say it. And there's something about, like, there's a huge loophole in human psychology where we go, um, well, this guy must be the real deal. He must know what he's talking about because he has so much confidence. So confidence is something you can uh, achieve through wisdom and practice and experience. Mm -hmm. Or it's something you can just train yourself or delude yourself, which would be even more efficient. Because if you lie to yourself well, you're going to be much better yeah, at lying sure. to other people. And then once you've mastered that, man, like you're a step away from starting your own religion. Like yeah. that's, I mean, some of these, I've, I've like, there's this, this one strike. No, I've it's seen it. Like the, the way you just, like, just whole held themselves, everyone's like, oh man, the guy's in the room. And I started paying attention to the guy. Man, this guy's stupid. He doesn't know striking. Like he's just not, he's got no history. Like why is everyone paying attention to what this guy is saying? I, I've seen this before as well. And, uh, it is interesting because it's somebody who's never even thought before, doesn't yeah. even have a background in it. Yeah. It's just like they had honey. You know, to they, millions. Were able, yeah. they were just able to slip that in and particularly to younger people who want that attention. Yes, yes. It's like a yes. fly it's to like, shit. You know what I mean? No, yeah. Yeah. People that are needy of father figures, not to go, yep. you yep. know, Freudian on people here. It's I'm a not, big thing. I'm not a huge fan of psychoanalysis, but yeah. there's something to be said about that father figure, man. 100%. Like, I, I know Many of fighters who are badasses in the cage, and they're so needy of someone to look up to. Yep. Like, almost like little children inside. No, I've, I've said, know? like, in the martial arts community, period, most of the men fighting do not have a father figure in their life. Yeah. And it's not a coincidence. Yeah. And it's a lot because people go into the martial arts because why? They were insecure. They, they were getting bullied. You know, they needed self-defense. Yeah. Something like that. And... Usually that happens because you didn't have a father figure that was guiding you. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because, you know, a good dad's going to show you how to protect yourself and fight and stuff like that. And yeah. you're going to carry yourself a different way. But when you're kind of like a, a bird that fell out of the nest too early, yeah. you're vulnerable, you know? And and you can be super tough. And yeah, you and can still be, super be vulnerable tough. inside. It's oh, a very yeah. different kind of toughness. You know, a lot of really tough guys that they're. Inside, they're little. Yeah. They're, I do, I, you know how many times I've seen these guys walk up to me and start crying? Yeah. Like it happened, they broke like Rob, and they did like just break down in front of me about their personal life and shit, you know. Um, yeah, I man, it, it's it's interesting, man. Like the, the 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 psychology behind all that. I think it was was it Rogan that said that all fighters are either they just love like rad sports, you know, like extreme sports, yeah. or they're angry at their dads. It's like one or the other. <laughs> and it's like there, I mean, there, there might be some truth to that. Like these, like some guys that if MMA didn't exist, they'd just be like. With those squirrel shoots, like jumping off the cliffs, you know, they'd be doing something like that. I, I know people are like that. Like, I, some, I know some fighters, I'm convinced they just adrenaline junkies, they don't even like to train that much. It's just like the adrenaline of being in danger. Man, I know guys who said they're gonna do squirrel suits once they're done fighting. I'm like, yeah, you're not okay, gonna... you're, you're that category, yeah, 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 you yeah, fit yeah. into that category. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, you're not doing any, like, you're not riding motorcycles, you're not doing anything, it's no, the most you, dangerous thing, in the yeah, world, until yeah. your fight career is over. And I mean, like, you don't do that stuff, man. Like, it's that's an early grave, man. That's I mean, that squirrel suit stuff, it looks though. amazing, it's amazing, it looks yeah. freaking amazing. I watch it, like, man, the rush must be incredible. I'm like, yeah. but that's like. You do that five, six times, and one of the times it's just gonna oh, become like a, a skid. I, I statistically, there's like a, it's, I, mean, I can't remember the percentage, but like, there's a very big chance you're gonna die. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I saw this documentary once. There's this chick, she was married to a, a, one of these guys who was like known for doing crazy stuff, and then sure enough, he died. And then right, right away, she married another one. <laughs> she's like, it's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> it's like a glutton for punishment. Man. It's one of your widows. She's like, Jesus, yeah. Oh, that's gross. I, I, I admire the courage, but it's almost like there's something wrong. I mean, I think like even fear, the way I look at like these, these, these features of psychology, it's just like you look at the body. Like my arms might be a little bit longer than yours, yours might be a little bit hairier, yeah. but it's still an arm, right? I think fear is the same. Some people have more, some people have less of it. We all have it. Some people just have very little of it. And I guess some of these guys, there's just, it's almost, I, I mean, it would be, it's something you think natural selection would have fixed a long time ago because people with that sort of fearlessness should not have made it this far. You know, that gene should not make it very far, make it very far. But like some of these guys are just absolutely, I, I've seen guys, they're not scared of fighting. I was shit in my pants every single time 
I step in that cage. Like almost, I would like hope to get injured the week before. That's how scared I was. Like, I no, hope it's I, funny. I hope you I say get that. injured just so I don't have to fight. That's how scared I was. You know, I've, other I've, guys are just like completely fine, man. It's unbelievable. I've I've teetered between the two, but usually not as scared. You know, like even for like, I mean, to me, grappling's not scary. You know, yeah. you get anxious. You get, you get anxious. Nervous, yeah, but it's not scary. Yeah. yeah, and but because you're not worried about. Well, yeah, you can get hurt. I've been hurt more grappling than wrestling. But there's something but, about a cage and punches yeah, that yeah, makes that, it scary. There's definitely yeah. more. But like even for cage fights and stuff, I never really had too much nerves. Like the only one that I felt a little bit nervous was my first shoe fight yeah. and my first pro MMA fight. Yeah. Those two that had like the first MMA fight had tunnel vision where like I literally could only see like this. It was weird. You know, like I was so limited in my vision. I don't know why. But that fight went well, and then after that, never had issues. But some people I've known that were like UFC fighters throwing up before every fight. You know, Dude, it's I, just from the nerves. Successful ones too, yeah. guys that you think would never. If I told you who, maybe afterwards I'll tell you. Like, yeah. like there's no way this guy's scared of fight. I'm like, this guy is vomiting, yeah. and he's peeing every like every other minute. Yeah, he's that nervous. And you know, but if you see him in there, like they just poker face the whole time. Yeah, you know, like they, we, you said, like GSP is pretty open about it. He's yeah, pretty anxious and nervous and terrified, and yeah. it's like well, one he of the, should be. Yeah, he's like one of the greatest has ever walked the earth. You know, yeah. so I think it's a very motivating message for people because a lot of people think that being scared, mm. oh, they're weak or like there's something wrong with them. Like, no, you're normal. Like that's you're supposed to be scared. This is a very unusual thing to do. Like all of human history. In animal history, there's very rare where like two people are going to plan to fight each other, you know, like three months in advance and step into a cage where everybody's watching them. That doesn't really happen. You know, fights are generally spontaneous. If you look in the wild, two males and they're in the same territory, oh, we're throwing down. I mean, there wasn't months of buildup for this, yeah. right? So like that whole time factor, it just, it creates a lot more anxiety. Like, yeah. People don't usually get as scared for a street fight because it just happens so quickly. It's it's impulse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like someone bumps you. Hey, what, what's that? Oh, okay. Yeah. Boom. And we start throwing. Like there wasn't chance for yeah. a buildup. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's one thing is like you're gonna fight tomorrow at seven p.m. That's why school was so terrifying. Oh yeah, yeah. Like oh, you're gonna have to fight the guy in the recess or something. The next hour, you're just like you know. Yeah, yeah. You're just biting your nails. Anxiety just consuming you because it's very different. Because now there's no impulse. There's no you know. Is that? Um, and you have that. Again, everybody has that little voice that's like, oh, we need to get out of this. Like, how can yeah. you, like you said, like, yeah. it's funny, like the, the whole injury thing, people yeah. are like, oh, that's not true. No, that's true, man. There's no. people, like, and I, some people actually go the step further and they self-sabotage yeah. without even realizing it consciously. Yeah. They'll do something that will take them out of the fight. So it's a way out. Yeah, yeah it's a way out. Like, people want to get, like, there's a part of them that wants to get out. Yeah. And acknowledging it is important because then you can control it. Yeah. And you can if, start approaching the problem. Yeah. yeah. If you pretend it doesn't exist, it can manifest right, itself yeah. in ways. And that happens in the fight where sometimes people just, chin starts getting really high for some reason. Like, yeah. and they're back mounted. You know, the guy's yeah, looking for a choke. Yeah. It's like, oh, and then they tap. And he's like, oh, you know, he just got me. He's like, no, you got yourself out. Yeah, of there. you're boycotting. You, you, just, you just wanted a way out, a quick yeah. way out. And it happens even in wrestling. People pin themselves. Like, in. Just to get out of the quickly. Just to get out of the match, you know? And uh, they don't, it's like a subconscious thing going on, you know, most of the time. So it's important to acknowledge that there's a part of you that's scared and that's okay. And then you just have to be able to work around that. That's the survival guy. Like you, you don't yeah. want to get rid of like, like It's always interesting when people like you have all these like what we would call like negative forces in your psychology or like things like fear, anxiety, uh, anger, like hate, whatever you think. Oh, this is all bad. Get rid of it. I'm like. No. It's, it's whether you like it or not it's there yeah now the only question is what are you going to do with it yes because like you know fear is something that's kept you alive it's almost it's something that you were you know you're neglecting your past and you're trying to like oh no i don't want these things kept you alive man this is part of who you are yeah you know they're good things you just have to learn how to manage them you have to learn how to use them to your favor exactly you know like fear is good anxiety is i, I think anxiety is a huge drive yeah i always I, i'm especially anxiety over the future like, if the past, you can just dwell on it. You can only learn from the past. That's how I look at it. The future is something that you shouldn't be anxious about. I mean, you will be anxious about, but that you have to use that as, as motivation, man. Like, it's not as like, oh, I'm scared of the future. Or like, oh, I got to prepare for the future. It's like it's, positive. Yes. It's not negative, you know? The anxiety is energy, yeah. right? So it's like, it's trying to motivate you to do something, yeah. right? Either to 
prepare or to get the hell out of it, right? Yeah. Like, it's one or the other, you know? So, like, when you have nervous energy for a fight, it's either trying to tell you, hey, I don't want to do this, let's get out of here, and that fear element is because we can get hurt, yeah. right? But if you use that energy and that fear to prepare yourself, then you're like essentially telling your body, I know there's a risk, but I'm going to prepare for the best I can because there's a really big reward, and I'm willing to take that risk. And when you do the right prep, you feel good about it. And a lot of that fear subsides. There's always a little bit, but a lot of it goes away. And I always tell people, it's always been true for me, as you walk into the cage, all that shit starts to just slip away. And by the time you're in there, it's go time. You're in the zone. All that stuff that you were worried about no longer applies. But it's kind of like you have to have faith in the process. The body is going to try to, or the, the part of your mind that's trying to preserve your health it's going to try to do everything it can to convince you to not step in there. Yeah. But once you're in and knows the game's up, he's okay. Let's just, it's pure emotion. Yeah, okay. It's, Let's just get it all in now. Now this is our only hope. we got to do really good you, now. you, you know? got to tell your emotion. It's almost like, yeah, the little voice in your head, like, it's going to be okay. And even though, like, yeah, there's some danger of dying in MMA or something horrific happening, but that's normally, let's be frank, it's yeah, right, not right. the most, squirrel suits are a lot more dangerous yeah. than MMA. <laughs> You know, um, I think motorcycles are a lot. I think a lot of things. Yeah, motorcycles, <laughs> like not even like the motocross. Like we're talking just yeah, yeah, driving, driving on around the freeway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, there. I think football probably has like more worse injuries than I mean, I'm not sure. I think they what, take a lot more beatings. What yet what number is? But yeah, just like yeah, yeah I think you're out of time, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That's my alarm. Pick up my kids. But anyway, like we could pick up on the which one is the most. Most dangerous sport on the planet. <laughs> I, I, I'm going with squirrel suits. That's my vote. I, I think squirrel suits are pretty good bet. Well, yeah. I, I think jiu-jitsu is pretty safe in, in comparison. I'll stick to that for for whatever the extent of my of my training life, however long that goes on for. I'm trying to like manage uh, um, whatever life I have in my joints for the next like 20, 30 years. Well, I've been telling people as you get older, you have to study. They call it MRV in weightlifting world. It's called maximum maximum recoverable volume. Hmm. right and essentially as you get older you get less and less volume that you can put in right so that's like something that i'm trying to learn myself still about you know like how much i can lift versus how much i can do jiu-jitsu how much i can do the archery and how much i can run like you only fit in so much so you got to figure out what that is and and it's going to change as you get older you get less okay i gotta lower that amount of volume i could put in you know because otherwise you start wearing out like for me now i know like if i train two days in a row hard broken yeah like i can't do it so like i have to do like one day hard okay then another day i could do easy you know what i mean or, or just i, I do you know? i do three hard rounds when i go hard three like hard rounds as far as i'll stop mid-train if i have to and there can be easy ones but and i don't go to war all the time maybe like once or twice a week I, you have to man because you want to i want to train till i'm 60 70 yeah you know and i got arthritis i'm 39 and i got arthritis on my knees and i suspect on my hands too you know so anyway Brother, I gotta go. Yep. I gotta pick up the kiddos. It was a lot of fun. Always, always good to pick up. Um, and uh, I'll be back in you know, five, six days. Okay, we'll do another one. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, stay awesome, and I'll see you guys. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, like, share, comment, and you can visit breakingtheguard.com to see all of our outlets as far as what podcasting platforms we're on, YouTube, social media. All that good stuff. All right. Until next time. Our final word from BJJCradle.com. That is Robert Drysdale's Cradle Series course, which is available in both DVD and online streaming formats. Again, you can go to BJJ, I'm sorry, BJJCradle.com where you can see uh, some sneak peeks and some videos of what's in the course. And of course, to register and get the whole course. You get instant streaming access, so you're going to see a good hybrid of wrestling and jiu-jitsu techniques for guard passing, for submissions. It's a very cool series, again, because a lot of people don't utilize the cradle to its full extent. And uh, by getting this, you're going to be a step ahead of your opponents. So go ahead and visit bjjcradle.com to learn more.